I just wanted to report to you last week, United Church launched, and they had 310 people in a service, in the service, to God be the glory. So about, they said about 45 Clover Hillers were over there. Some will, some will stay, some will come back as they get their legs under them. Some were just there to just be a part of the first day. So we're grateful to be a part of that and uh, looking forward to how God uses United to make a difference in that community. Also, uh, I just want to encourage you. It was on the news. Pastor Andrew probably said it, but, but Grow Track tonight, I'd love to sit across the table from you and get to know your story, let you hear the church's story tonight at 5. We'll have dinner for both you and your kids. Just let us know you're coming either on the webpage or on your way out. That would be great. Five to seven, we'll have you out of there. Very informational. I think you'll enjoy it. It, it. You'll be glad you came. And then also, well, I'll talk about that later. We're in a series called This Is Us. Today, I want to talk to you about does purity matter? Is it important? And if you look at our culture, you would think that it doesn't matter, that you can just do whatever with whoever, however, and everything will work out. And I don't know if maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you don't adhere to the Bible. You don't even think the Bible is relevant. You don't even, to know this, that if we could, if we could as a culture get better at purity, it would change everything. It would lower our prison population. It would take care of some of our health care issues. It would keep marriages together. It would, if we got this purity issue together, it would call, it would solve a lot of our problems and a lot of our stuff. And the Bible warns us against it. The Bible talks about it because the Bible talks about everything. There, there's an answer to, to everything in our lives, either through principle or through direct commands. And, and let me just give you some foundation and then we'll get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want, this is what Paul said, I want you to understand what really matters. Does, does purity matter? Well, I think so, Paul said, so you may live pure and blameless lives until the return of Christ. That, that's important. Purity matters. What we're talking about today matters. And you say, well, well after you hear me, you're going to say, we're not supposed to talk like that in church. If we don't talk like this, who is talking like this? The world. And they've distorted it, and they've made it, and they've made it out to be what it, it isn't. And, and you say, well, I got a seventh grader in here, and I don't know if I want him to hear this. Believe me, they're hearing more than what I'm going to talk about, and they need to hear it in the right way because it matters. Purity matters. Here's another verse. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. When it comes to sex, uh, what's the world saying? The world is saying, be promiscuous, do whatever you want to do. Uh, and why would you marry somebody if you didn't first know if they were a good lover or not? Sex is recreation. There, you you got to be able to have friends with benefits. If I go out with a boy, the, the, the expectation is before, before too long, we're going to have sex. It's cool to be bicurious or to try both sides. Here, here's what our world is saying. Practice safe sex and pick up your state-sponsored glow-in-the-dark condom and get out there and have some fun. That's what the world is telling us. That's what the world is, is trying to, to conform us to. But God says, that, let me transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that's what I want to do today. I want to, because great, th great sex starts between your ears. It starts by the way you think and by the way you behave. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Why, why, why do we talk about this and how are we, what's the context that we're going to talk about it? 
Here, here's, here's John 10, 10. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you do it the world's ways and when you believe the lies of the devil, he wants to steal your innocence and kill your potential intimacy and destroy your hope of an amazing marriage. That's what the enemy wants to do. But Jesus says, I've come. I've given you my word. I've given you my spirit that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't want your marriage destroyed. I want it flourishing. I don't want your life filled with guilt and condemnation. I want you living in freedom and abundance. I want you to know, I want you to do it my way. I want you to experience marriage faithfulness and sexual satisfaction and an intimate relationship with the one you're married to or the one who one day you will be married to. There was a girl that that was staying at her grandmother's house, and she, she said, Grandma, how old are you? And Grandma said, Baby, you, you're not supposed to ask Grandma how old she is. And he, she go, the, the granddaughter goes, Well, I know you were born in 1952. And then, and then she goes, Grandma, uh, how much do you weigh? And Grandma goes, Baby, you know you're not supposed to ask, ask how much I weigh. She goes, Well, I know you weigh 142 pounds. And she goes, well, how do you know how much I weigh and how old am I? And she had her license. She pulled out her license. Because I found your license. And I know how much you weigh and I know how old you are. And I also know that you made an F in sex. That you did. Because she's female. Come on, man. Come on. It says sex and there's an F. By. Some of you are like, went right over your head. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? If you look at our society, many of us are failing in sex, we just don't understand uh, God's, God, the, the priority that God puts on it and, 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 the, and the passion that comes behind it. And so Paul writes this book, book to the, a letter really, to the, to the church at Corinth. And you say, well, pastor, you're a caveman. I, I already know you're going to tell me not to do anything. And this is the 21st century. Well, go back to Corinth. And Corinth was a port city. And so there was a lot of commerce, a lot of people in and out, Navy town, big. It was also a real sex-craved uh, city. Th that's where you would go. If you wanted the favor of God, not God, but a God, you would go to the temple and you would sleep with a prostitute and you would go home and, and your crops would grow taller and your, your cows would give better milk. Or I mean, it just got the favor of God. If you wanted to spice up your marriage, you went to the temple and you had sex with a pro, or you found a sex party, and you, you engaged in that, and you went home and it would spice things up. And in, in that context, Paul writes a letter to him, and he says this, flee from sexual immorality. He, he, doesn't, say, he doesn't say flirt with sexual immorality. He doesn't say, let me see how close I can get to sexual immorality. He says flee. He said, run, forest, run. Get away from sexual immorality. And let me even, let me tell you what immorality means. It's where we, it's the Greek word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. When Paul, when you study that word, it means anything that causes sexual arousal outside of the marriage covenant. So it, adultery is sexual immorality. Fornication, sexual immorality. Pornography, sexual immorality. Uh, homosexuality, sexual immorality. Any, and, and I know that's not popular, and we want to say it's just an alternate lifestyle, and we want to make those that come out of that, that, that come out of the closet and say that we want to label them as a hero. But I'm telling you, just like every other sexual sin, it's wrong, it's unnatural, it's not God's plan for your life. 
The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God created you, and he wants you to have life and life more abundantly. Therefore, I'm going to flee from anything that causes sexual arousal outside of marriage. That's what Paul is saying. Flee from sexual immorality. Anything that is outside the covenant of marriage, we are to flee. We're to run from. Why? Uh, let me tell you just a few reasons. Number one, sexual sin is sticky. That, what I mean by that, let me go to the word again, 1 Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? When you said yes to Jesus, you, you got a new, you got a new uh, connection, and it's with Christ. You got a new nature, and it's, and it's Christ's nature. You got the Holy Spirit that which comes to dwell within you. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And you say, well, I'm not, surely I'm not going to mess with a prostitute. I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. Anybody, again, anything outside of the marriage covenant. And Paul says, never, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Do you not know that one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Here, here's why sexual sin is, is to be fleed, because it's sticky. For it is said the two will become one flesh. That's why one of the reasons God created sex. Sex was designed to unite and to bond and to fuse and to bring together. It's the ultimate intimacy between one man and one woman. In God's perfect world, it would have been a virgin man marrying a virgin woman, and at penetration, there would be bleeding, and it would be the start of a covenant. That, that's At every covenant in the Old Testament, there had to be the shedding of blood. And, and at that very moment, it was holy, it was righteous, and the covenant was to be sealed. But, but with every, if you're not married today, with every sexual encounter outside of marriage, you forfeit the opportunity to be uniquely one with your future husband or wife. And if you are married today, Every sexual thing, whether it be looking at the pornography, some emotional connection, some lust in your heart, it, it, it keeps you, it causes you to lose your stickiness when it comes to marriage. Just, I like to illustrate it using, using tape, and tape is meant to adhere. Tape is meant to cause stuff to stick, and, and it's just like sex. It's, it's sticky, and when you do it, it's supposed to bond two people together. But the more that you stick with different people, the, again, the more you look at a, a woman on some false, uh, on, a, on a pornography site or, or whatever, you, it continues. It's, a, it's trying to create something or cause something. And eventually, if not careful, you lose your stickiness and it's gone. And what Paul is saying, I want you to flee from immorality, anything outside the marriage covenant, because you're losing your ability to cleave. And stick to your husband, your wife, or your future husband, or wife. And what you really want is not, it's not found in sexual satisfaction. It's found in intimacy. And purity paves the way for intimacy. Intimacy means that, that I'm going to know somebody so deep and so personal that I can trust them completely and that I can give myself fully without fear, without betrayal, or without rejection. And that's why sex is so important, because it's supposed to be a byproduct of intimacy. That's why sex is not a physical act, it's, an, it's a relational act. 
And our society never wants to talk about it in the context of marriage. When is the last time you saw a love scene between husband and wife? They don't show it. We, we, that doesn't stir. It doesn't get the same response. I mean, I had to go back, and the last time I can see two married pe- people with a lot was Rocky. Rocky won. We're, we're Adrian. I mean, it was so, who wants that? I mean, that's just kind of what they're portraying. Sex is so much more. It's not, it's not recreational. That's why it's relational, the Bible says. You cannot just have sex. That's not only unbiblical, it's impossible. Because when two people come together sexually, they become one flesh. They stick or they cleave together. Sex is not for mature people. Sex is not for people who are ready. Sex is not for people who think they're in love. Sex is for married people. Because it's not just physical, it's relational. Purity matters because sex is sticky, and I'm encouraging you, don't lose your stickiness. Here's here's another thing about sex. Sexual sin is messy. We think, well, it's going to help. It's going to spice it up. It's going to make it better. It's going to allow me to keep a boyfriend. It's, it, it's, be- no, it, sexual sin, anything outside the marriage covenant becomes, it gets, it gets really, really messy. That's why Paul said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Sin is sin, and I'm not, I'm not categorizing sin. I'm not Labeling sin, I'm not putting one sin higher than another, but we all know that some sin has greater con- consequences than other sins. It's just the way that it works. I, I mean, you can be a really poor student in high school, and you can goof around and play the part of the fool, but you can get out of that. You can learn from it. You can get better. You can go to college. You can, you can go back to college. You can, and then later on, you can laugh at it. It was sin. It was folly. It was foolishness, but you can often rebound from that. If you have a financial issue, and maybe it's because of lack of stewardship or unwillingness to get a job or whatever, if you learn from that and grow from that, you can get out of that. You can get better from that. But often sexual sins carries consequences that are forever. They're forever. Think about the pain and horror of STDs or the challenge of an unwanted pregnancy or the guilt and shame of confusion of premarital sex or the baggage that you bring into a marriage relationship because of past lovers. I... I, I found a, a letter from a little girl that, that her daddy had an affair on her mom. And I'm trying to illustrate that sex, it's messy, it's, it's not better. And she correlates or she tries to paint a word picture for her daddy that it's like they've been in a car accident. And I want to read it to you. It says, it says, Daddy, it's late and I'm sitting in the middle of my bed writing to you. I've wanted to talk to you so many times, but we've not had the opportunity to do so. Dad, I realize that you're dating someone else, and I knew that you and mom, I know that you and mom may never get back together, and that's very, very hard for me to accept, especially knowing that it means you'll never be an everyday dad to me and and Brian, my brother, again. At least I wanted to understand what's going on in in your life and, and what's going on in our lives. Don't think mom has asked me to write this because she didn't. She doesn't even know I'm writing it. I just want to share with you what I'm thinking. I feel like our family's been riding in a car for a long time. You know, the kind that you always like to have as a company car, the kind that had every extra inside, no scratches on the outside. But over the years, the car has developed some problems. It's smoking, the wheels wobble, the seats covers are ripped, and it's really hard to drive because of all the shaking and squeaking. But you know, Dad, it's still a great car, or it could be. With a little work, it could run for several more years. 
And Brian and I have always been in the back seat with you and mom up front. And we've always felt safe and secure when you're driving and mom's beside you. But last month when you left, mom had to take over the wheel. It was a nightmare. We just, we just turned the corner and suddenly we looked up and saw another car coming at us, out of control, heading straight for us. Mom tried to swerve out of the way, but the other car smashed into us and, and the impact set us flying off the road, crashing into light posts. The thing is, Dad, just before we hit, we saw that it, it was you driving the other car. And we saw something else. Sitting next to you was the other woman. It was a terrible accident. We were all rushed to the emergency room. When we asked where you were, nobody knew. We're still not really sure where you are in all of this and if you're really hurt and if you need help. Mom was really hurt. She was thrown into the steering wheel and punctured, punctured her lungs. It almost pierced her heart when the car wrecked. The back door smashed into Brian. He was covered with cuts from broken glass and he shattered his arm. He's in a cast and he's in so much pain and shock, he doesn't want to talk or play with anybody. As for me, I was thrown from the car and stuck out in the cold for a long time. My right leg was broken and I lay there and couldn't move. I didn't know what was wrong with mom and Brian, but I was hurting so much that I couldn't reach out and help them. There have been times since that night that I wondered if any of us were going to make it. Even though we're getting better, we're still here in the hospital and the doctor says, that I'll need a lot of therapy on my leg, and I know they'll help me get that better, but Daddy, I wish you were helping me instead. The pain is so bad, but what's worse is we miss you so much. I know it's over, but my heart would explode with joy if somehow I could look up and see you walking into my room. At night when it's really quiet, they push Brian and me into my mo in Mom's room, and we talk about you, how much we miss you, and how much we love uh, being with you. Daddy, are you all right? Are you hurting from the wreck? Do you need us like we need you? If you need me, I'm here, and I love you. Sex outside of marriage is messy. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. I, I, that's why Paul is so passionate in his command. Flee from sexual immorality. You know, you know I've never heard a girl say, well, I, I really want to marry this guy, but he stole a phone case when he was 16 years old from the Walmart, and I, I just don't know if he's trustworthy anymore. I've never heard a guy say, I really want to marry her, but she's had multiple speeding violations since she got her license, and I don't know if I can marry somebody that drives a car so fast. And you know, both of those are sins, but they're not messy as sexual sins. This is what I hear. I don't know if I can trust him anymore, because he looks at pornography all the time, and it makes me feel so betrayed and so less valued. It's ruined our intimacy, and I just don't think I can move forward in this kind of relationship. What I've heard, I have heard boys telling me, I really love her pastor, and I think I want to marry her, but she's been so promiscuous in her past, I don't... I don't know if I can compare to that. I don't know if I'll measure up. I don't know if I can compete with that. And if she was so unfaithful on this side of marriage, what's going to make her faithful on this side of marriage? Because sexual sin is messy. You know, pornography has brought the illusion that sex without, that you can have sex without intimacy. But it's what intimacy is what makes sex so great. And the push for condoms has brought us into the illusion that we can have sex without consequences. My response is you can't put a condom on somebody's heart. There are results from sexual sin that can cause more damage. Again, sin is sin. Pride is sin. Arrogance is sin. Uh, stealing is sin. Uh, whatever is sin. Apathy is sin. But there's something about sexual sin that brings more baggage and more junk and leaves a greater wake of confusion and chaos than, any, than almost any other sin. So this is what... This is what 
Paul tells us, it's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Anything that causes arousal outside of the marriage covenant, that each of you should learn to control his own body, that you should take personal responsibility in a way that is holy and honorable. God didn't call you to fit in. He called you to stand out. God wants us to be holy. God, God, the, the, it's, that's why it's called holy matrimony, because it's supposed to be special and reserved and unique. It's, it's set apart. It's a holy relationship. He goes on to say, not in passionate, don't live like the, the heathen do in passionate lust. They don't know God. They don't know God's ways. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy, our consecrated, our sanctified, our set apart life. So, so what do I do? How, how do I live godly in an, in an ungodly culture? How, how do I flee sexual immorality? And, and I want, let me talk to the students for just a moment and then for those that are married, singles and students. And this is what I would say to the parents of students and especially daddies. We've got to be engaged. We've got, we cannot stand back apathetically. You remember last week, I encourage you to watch the sermon. The sin of the man is apathy. Though God's given us total authority and he's put us as the, as the leader of the home, we sit on our hands and we sit back and we allow things to just happen. I, I'm, for the sake of your daughter, for the sake of your son, for the sake of their future, we have got to be engaged when it comes to relationships. And, and, and we, I mean, we understand academically, I'm going to make my kids go to school. Tuesday morning, I'm going to walk through the house for the two kids that are left, and I'm going to say, get up, it's time to go to school, and they're going to say, just like they say every day, I'm tired, I don't want to go, I don't feel good, and I'm going to say, do you have a fever, are you throwing up, then get your butt up and come down to breakfast because you got to go to school. Why? Because them going to school is going to affect the next 60 years of their life. I've got to be engaged in that. I've got to be engaged physically with them to the sense that I'm not going to let Micah watch eight hours of, of shows and play 15 hours of video games every day because that's not good for him. He's got to get outside. It's the same. Spiritually, I've got to be engaged. I've got to walk a Christian life before them. I can't give what I don't have. I don't have to be perfect because I'm not, and neither are you, but I've got to be quick to point out my own faults, quick to ask for forgiveness, and quick to, to make Jesus center and priority and the passion of my life. And I've got to be involved in my kids' life relationally in the, in the sense of who and what they're dating and when they're dating and where they're going and what's going on. We cannot have a hands-off approach. And for some reason, our culture says, well, at 13, 14, 15, 16, even 17 years old, they're smart enough, they're wise enough to make good decisions and pick good uh, whoever they boyfriends or girlfriends and, and, it's, and it's, it's just not so. It's not so. I, I compare it if somebody wanted to borrow your truck. Some of you men got nice trucks and not, I mean, or whatever, your car, whatever. And if a boy came to you and said, hey, hey, Mr. Grant, I want to borrow your truck. I, you know, I'd say, sure, let me go run your, your, your report, your background report at DMV. Let me, let me go see what's in your past. Let me see what's going on. And hey, I'll give you these keys reluctantly, hesitantly, but I'll let you drive it. But if it comes back with a scratch, if you drive it too fast, if you squeal those wheels, if you go too fast around a corner, buddy, it, that'll be the last time that you drive my truck. 
But yet when it comes to our daughters, hey, I, they don't even ask. I, I'm going to take you and we step back and we do whatever. We ought to be saying, hey, you want to date my daughter? Let me run a background check on you. Let me find out what kind of family you come from. Let me kind of, let me find out where you're attending church and what you're involved in. Let me find out a little bit about you. Uh, you you want to you wanna, you wanna take my daughter out? If you scratch her, if you go too fast, if you go around that corner too sharp, Buddy, you're, you're not going to take her out again. This is a privilege, not, not a, a, a just you just get to do this. You're going to treat. We need as parents. Oh, what time are you going to be home? We're going to be home at midnight. No, you're not. If you're going to date my daughter, you're going to be here at a decent hour. And, and where, where are you going? We don't know yet. But before you leave, you're going to know. And you're going to text me when you get there. And you're going to text me on your way home. Because I'm that's my daughter. As, as daddies, we got to let these boys know that they are taking out the most precious, the most beautiful, the most special things to us in all our lives. We got to teach our sons that they got to treat women with respect. They got to treat those girls with honor. They, they need to treat them in the way that they want some boy treating their sister. We, we got to teach our girls that they don't go on a date looking like they work at Hooters. They, they don't have to do that. And I, and I, I, I know, I mean, I got, I got girls at the house, and I know these yoga britches are the comfortable thing, and, and they're just, you know, they're nice, them stretch pants. You know what I'm talking about, them, the things that, and, 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 and I, you know, if you got to wear them, then wear them. But cover up your butt in Jesus' name. <laughs> I tell my daughter, and again, I'm not perfect, and she might leave the house and tuck her shirt in. I don't know. But when she leaves my house, her butt is covered if she's got on them stretch britches. I don't want, and she, you know what? She goes, well, Daddy, them boy, God just is looking at my heart. That boy ain't looking at your heart. He's looking at your rear end. Cover it up. Cover it up. We, we've got to be engaged. We've got to be a part of the process. Are you hearing me? You know that country song that says, come on in, boy, sit a while. You want to date my daughter? And, and we love her. She's, she's the joy of my heart. She's her mama's pride. And, and uh, if you want to date her, that's fine. But you're going to be home at a good hour. And when you get home, I'll be waiting up just cleaning this gun. And, and, uh, get, and look, you don't have to pull out the gun, but it helps sometimes. <laughs> that's kind of a joke. I don't know if it's funny or not. But I'm, you got to be engaged, parents. And then listen to me, young people, set high standards. We've lowered the bar so low that because we live in the 21st century, because everybody's doing it, we're missing out on God's best. I'm telling you to raise the bar. God's got something better for you. Okay, how do I raise the bar? Limit your time alone. You don't need to be alone with that boy. You can, learn, you can learn more about him, the way that he interacts with his mom or dad, the way that he interacts in community. What I have found is, is, is when boys and girls begin to isolate themselves, one boy, one girl, and then that thing goes sour, doesn't work out. Not only do they you lose a boyfriend, but they lose a community because of the last year they've been doing everything by themselves. And now they, they just, they can't, I'm saying limit your time alone, set good boundaries, limit your talk. Don't tell a boy after the third date, I love you, I can't live without you, I you don't know what you love, and I don't, I don't, I'm not being disrespectful, I was the same way. I'm trying to tell you from a, and I hope you're listening to not some caveman, I hope you're listening to a guy that wants the very best for you, 
that, that many, I see you as spiritual sons and daughters, and I don't want you wrecking and ruining your life and, and looking back on it and having a bunch of, I wish I could have, I should have. I want you to do it the right way now. I want you to enjoy the benefits and the rewards of serving God with, with all your heart. And the teenage years is not years to, to it's meant to be experimenting, and, and, and it's not meant, it's never was intended so you could just you could just do whatever you wanted to do. It's meant to be a learning ground and a growing ground and a teaching ground so you can come out of adolescence ready to face the world and ready to contribute to society and ready to fulfill God's will and ready to be all that God has intended you to be. I don't want you to waste your years. I want, I want God to invest in your years. And so, and so limit your talk. Don't let your emotions. And, and I heard some guy say, well, I love her. Well, how do you know you love her? Because when I get around her, I can't breathe. That's not love. It's asthma. Get in an inhaler. <laughs> you don't even know what love is. Here, limit your touch. Limit it. And here's what young people tell me all the time. Well, how far is too far? You're asking the wrong question. That's like me saying, how, far can I, how long can I stand on the edge of this platform and not fall off? How, long, how close to the edge can I get? And not stumble. I'm not long. I mean, eventually I'm going to fall. If your question is, how far is too far? You're constantly, you're up against the guardrail. You're up against the bumper. I'm trying to say, don't ask how far is too far. Ask how close can I get to Jesus? This is what I do know. The further you go, the faster you go. Because desires never slow down. It always accelerates. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It always builds momentum. And that was intentional. We were created like that so that we would cleave in marriage. But when we use it outside of, see, all those, those uh, appetites, they're natural. They're God-given. God created them. Sin distorted them. And so we, we've got to understand, the, fur, the further you go, the further you want to go. The first time you hold somebody's hand, you're going to get a rush and a high, and it's going to feel so awesome. But then after a while, that's not enough, and you got to do something else, and you got to go to another place and another place and another place because it's never enough. And the further you go, the harder it is to get back, the harder it is to go back. It's like drugs. You just got to have, and I'm just saying limit, limit your talk, limit your time, limit your touch. I grew up in church, and I was always, we were always told, no, 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 no. That's all we heard about sex. No, no, no. And it came across as dirty. It came across as ungodly. And I'm not saying no, no. I'm saying wait, wait, wait. If you're a 30-year-old wanting to get married again, wait. If you're a 13-year-old and everybody else is involved in it, I'm encouraging you, wait. Do it. Jesus' way, it's not easier. Doing it God's way is not easier. But it's better. It's better. Here, here's what I would tell adults. If, if, I mean, married people, people that are married today, and you, you don't want to fall into sexual sin, and, and you don't want that creeping in your marriage, and you want oneness and intimacy in your marriage, I would tell you to walk with God. I would ask you and ask you to ask yourself, how's your relationship with Jesus? Are you pursuing him, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week? Are you spending time in his word? Are you, are you listening to worship? Are you filling your spirit? Is your walk with God right? That's the foundation. I would tell you to work on your marriage. Well, it's, it's fine. It, it's going to be okay. We'll just let it take care of itself. If you let it take care of itself, it's going to drift. 
You've got to be intentional. You, you've got to work on that most important relationship in your life. I would say stay alert. It'll never happen to me. Don't say that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better men and women have fallen than you and I. Solomon was the wisest man on the earth and he fell. David was a man after God's own heart and he fell. Samson was the strongest man on the planet and he fell. Why? Because we're all susceptible if we don't keep up our guard and we don't stay alert. And you know where you're the most susceptible is when you're living, where you're going through a fearful thing, where you're frustrated, or where you're fatigued, frustrated with your marriage. Man, it's just, it's just not what it ought to be, should be. She's not meeting my needs. He's not respecting me. You get fr- you're, 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 a, you're very susceptible. You're fatigued, tired, wore out. You've not been recharging spiritually. You've not been spending time with the Lord. You've not been nurturing your relationship with your wife. You're just tired. You're at a point where the devil can really mess you up if you're not careful. I would say seek out accountability. If you're not setting up guardrails in your life, if you're not setting things up so that you won't fall, you're going to fall. Our our culture is just too sexual. I mean, it's too easy to get involved in. It's too too challenging not to be. If you don't have some guardrails, some Andy Stanley calls it guardrails. If you don't have guardrails, because guardrails keeps you out of the unsafe zone. It keeps you in a space. Like, that's the edge. If a guardrail, I don't want to get too close because I fall off. They would put a guardrail right in front of the edge. Keep me back from that. If you don't have some boundaries, some guardrails, I got a small group we're reading right now. It's called Resolution. It came from the movie Courage. It's kind of an older movie, but we're talking about how to love our wives and how to, uh, how to uh, grow our kids and, and how to stay sexually pure. And, and I'm, just the conversations that we have every Tuesday morning, how are you doing? Are you struggling in this area? We, we just set up some accountability and some, and, and with any accountability, if you're not honest, it doesn't work. But with honesty, if you need help, get a marriage mentor. We got people that come alongside you. Go to overcomers. Do whatever it takes to flee sexual immorality. And here's another last thing. Consider the consequences. We've mentioned it, but the consequences of sexual sin are are, are so much more. And I know staying pure, staying pure is hard, man. It's difficult. And none of us are perfect. And, and we've, if we're honest, we've probably all failed in this area in some degree. Because, remember, sexual immorality is any kind of arousal outside of the marriage covenant. So we're all guilty. But, but I, again, I want to call us to a higher standard. I, wanna, I want us to call us to God's best. And here's how you can respond. You can get defensive. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a caveman. He doesn't understand the challenges, the difficulty. But I love her, but she hasn't been meeting my needs. And you can just get real defensive, and, and you can say, this is, this is unique to me, and he doesn't know my particular circumstance and situation, and so I'm just going to live how I want to live. Or, or you can respond with a sense of condemnation. I've been so bad, I'm never going to be able to make it. God's going to punish me forever. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't want you walking around in guilt and condemnation. He wants you to walk around in freedom. He wants to throw your sins as far as the east is from the west. He wants to make you re-pure today. He wants to renew you today. He wants to let you start afresh and anew 
today. So what's the third response? You can repent. You turn from it. You change your thinking. I'm not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to let my thinking change towards this. I'm going to raise my standards. I'm going to hire the bar. I'm going to do it God's way. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I, I know I've blown it, but I turn from it. From this day forward, I'm going to flee from sexual immorality. I'm going to fight for purity. I'm going to live by convictions, not by feelings. I've been bought with a price, and I'm no longer my own, but the Holy Spirit lives in me. Therefore, I'm going to honor God with my body. Here's what the psalmist said. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. With the help of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, may we as God's people flee, run, not flirt with, get away from sexual immorality. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me, will you? Trevor, if you'll come back to the keyboard. I want you to ask yourself this question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? What do you need to do? What adjustments do you need to make? What do you need to stop? What, what filter do you need to put on your computer? What, where do you need to stop going? What do you need to stop doing? Young person, maybe, I don't know, who do you need to break up with? What do you, who do you need to distance yourself from? Who do you need to connect to? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us in this moment? In this sacred moment, what are you saying to us? As he speaks to you, will you respond? Will you confess where confession is needed? Will you repent where there's repentance? Will you recommit? Will you ask for God's help? I'm going to quit talking and just allow you a few moments with the Lord to pray with him, to pray to him, to respond to him. pray for every young person in this house today that they would they would recognize the gift of sex as a gift that they would recognize marriage as holy holy matrimony Lord that they would save themselves that they would preserve themselves that they would in a in a in a sex crave culture that you would give them the grace and the strength to not live according to their feelings, but according to their conviction in Jesus' name. If there are those here today that have messed up, that blown it, let them start afresh today, God. Let them take the necessary steps to come out and to draw close to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for marriages. I pray for men that are bound in pornography and that are struggling with lust. Lord, would you break those chains over us? Would you help us to walk in freedom? Help us to take the necessary steps to, to get free from that, to confess our sins one to another, to find help, to set up boundaries, to do whatever is necessary, to deal with that sin so that it doesn't 
control us and keep us from our best. Lord, help all of us to flee from sexual immorality in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand with me, will you? And I want to ask one more question because I... You know, every head bowed, every eye shut. And don't, don't please, I don't want you to ask or look around, but... You know, I'm not even going to ask you, but I just, I just, I just, again, I, I don't want to leave this moment without allowing the Holy Spirit to do something in us. If you're struggling in that area, if you're struggling with sexual sins, and you're tired of it, you've heard the word of God concerning it, and you want to stop it, would you just, would you just begin to say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your grace. God, I need you. God, I'm going to get in a group. I'm going to go to overcomers. I'm going to put filters on my computer. I'm going to watch. I'm going to make, be careful what I watch. Young person, make a commitment. I'm going to be careful who I hang out with. Be careful of what I say. Careful of the, the distance I go touching, whatever. God, I just commit my life. I offer myself to you today. I don't want to offer the sins of parts of my body to sins of instruments of wickedness, but I offer myself to you, oh God fresh and anew. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. And you, you've, been, you've been stirred in your heart and you've been convicted today that, that you need Christ more than anything, that you realize that, that you're far from Him, not walking with Him. Maybe at one time you were, but you've drifted, or maybe you never have. I want, God's here to forgive you, regardless of what you've done in your past, regardless of, of, of what you think even about yourself. God wants to start afresh with you. He wants to help you. He wants to lead you. And I would just make it a matter of prayer. I would say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I thank you that you died for me, and I accept that, and I want you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. Jesus, I give you my life today. I give you my life.